Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Simon Indelicate, an independent musician and the creator of the Arcadia Park Imaginary Theme Park Conceptual Artwork Project. So welcome back to the show, Simon. Hello. It's really great to have you on. And uh, first off, congratulations on the uh, success of the Arcadia Park NFT Dropped. Yeah, thank you very much. I have absolutely no idea what is happening. <laughs> I'm extremely surprised and confused and happy. Well, so Simon, uh, for listeners who might not already be familiar with your work, who haven't maybe listened to your, your previous visit to this podcast, could you tell people a little bit kind of about yourself and about your background and how you came to the present moment and, uh, and produced this new project? Sure. Okay. So um, my name's Simon. I'm the singer and guitarist in a um, cult indie band called The Indelicates, uh, along with my wife, Julia, who is the other sort of um, singing and writing member. And, and we've had lots of other members over the years. Currently, um, currently, currently very happy with the band, though our bassist to just move to Australia, but that wasn't anything we said. He just, um, he just, he, he just did that. Um, so we had to find a new one. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. Um, we've been uh, a, a band on the kind of indie scene for since about 2005 2006 when we put a band together we were briefly signed to a record label for our first album um got an advance and all that before the rec just before the record industry collapsed um after that it kind of very quickly became apparent that the way that we were operating as a as a business entity was completely destroyed and decimated by things. And I, and I thought very much not by piracy, but by simple facts of economics. Um, so in order to release our second album, after our record company went bankrupt, we um, didn't bother looking for another one. We kind of put together our own pay what you like um, platform. Um, roughly the same week that Bandcamp put together theirs rather more successfully, because ours had, it was a bit too punk rock and wasn't very appealing to normal people. Um, but we, we did that roughly about the same time, um, kind of pioneered this like um, very sort of ultra DIY, be your own platform approach to to music creation. Um, I wrote a, a long article about that at the time, explaining how I thought what I thought about the economics and the music industry and everything like that, um, which I believe you read um, and is probably why I'm talking to you now in the long term. Um, and then we kind of carried on doing that for a little while. Then we had children and I kind of, fell out of the the cutting edge a little bit i mean we were carrying on doing we were doing we were still doing the cutting edge from like 2010 up to about 2017 um which was still cutting edge but the cutting edge had, i definitely felt the cutting edge had moved on a bit um so we, we've released uh six studio albums since then a bunch of other things um all over spotify you can find us on wikipedia and find out what we've been doing there um and all of them you know successful in their way but with kind of while maintaining the same kind of audience, diminishing financial returns, which has been interesting to watch and kind of depressing at times, especially as streaming has taken over. And um, as of last year, uh, pandemic hit and everything, so we kind of think the album that we're working on is kind of almost impossible to make at the moment because we couldn't really do studios or anything and, and we had to be with children all the time. Um, but I was still paying DistroKid, which is a distribution company, to distribute an unlimited amount of music to Spotify. So... I kind of thought I should stop wasting that 
money that, and just release a bunch of albums. So I just started making records. Um, and I made a couple of things about um, poltergeists and um, a kind of thing about a pylon cult that um, that I briefly started about this time last year to give us also. So it was like we started a pylon cult to make a kind of electronic amb- amb- ambient album about it, but also to give us something to do with the children while everything was closed. We could just drive around finding transmission towers and going, it's a good one. Um, so that filled a lot of time, but also made quite a cool album. And then after that, um, we went to a local theme park when when they reopened and walking around listening to music, I just thought, I love theme park soundtracks. They're one of the actual kinds of music that I listen to most in real life. And I could probably make one of those now. I kind of know enough what I'm doing. So um, I started imagining a theme park and writing the music for it. And that became the Arcadia Park album, uh, which I released on a very limited run of CDs. Thought that was probably it for that. And then started moving on in my head, at which point I came on your podcast to talk about that and various other things and then I had an interesting conversation with you and then since then things have become peculiar <laughs> well so maybe you could kind of flesh out a little bit more your initial conception of the Arcadia Park project like sort of like how did you think about the project from an aesthetic standpoint in other words like what did you want it to do as an album or as a concept album, I guess, as it were. And how did you think initially that that particular album was going to play out as a kind of business proposition? Okay. So, um, well, in terms of thematic content, I mean, I'm, I'm, like I said, I am genuinely a fan of theme park soundtracks and as time has gone on and my taste in music has become increasingly obscure due to overexposure to things that people actually like, um, I've, I, I mainly listen to kind of, like I say, theme park soundtracks, weird electronica and hauntology. I listen to a lot. Um, and hauntology is a very interesting conceptual movement, particularly in this country in England, because there is this rich legacy of this. It, to explain hauntology very briefly, it kind of arose from European thought around um, the idea of the post-Soviet bloc countries being haunted by the spectre of the future they were promised that never came. So full communism was never realised and the the promise of the beautiful future and the kind of aesthetic of the beautiful future was never something that became a reality. And yet, so people were living in a, in a sort of parallel future haunted by the the other futures that existed in other realities. And since people talked about the post-communist era, people thought, well, that applies just as much to um, a kind of English synth culture and spooky culture of the 1980s which is obviously my childhood so kind of this sort of folk music played on synthesizers aesthetic that um yeah this kind of haunted strange sense of, of an England that's dislocated and, and as the last few years of political turmoil have unfolded that's become especially relevant to me so that's always in the back of my head and so being into theme parks and being into hauntology I love the idea of writing a theme park and Really, what I love is the idea of owning and managing my own theme park that is mine and that I can close and ride all the things on my own, like Cartman. Um, that's probably what I really want. But in the meantime, knowing that I can do that, I, well, I can I can make the music for a theme park and kind of start a theme park backwards and start with all the, the, the stuff that you end up with if you build a theme park and then move backwards from there. And then maybe eventually I'll have a theme park. But really what that was was just writing music thinking what other kind of hallmarks of theme parks that I particularly like, which include this sort of Disney Epcot idea of progress and we must look to the future together and all that stuff. 
um, but also kind of the weird fairy tale wood carvings of somewhere like the Efteling or Enchanted Forest as a great album from in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and so it kind of brought all that together, made, and I kind of, obviously, once you've written music, you kind of, what's the music, what's the name of the song that you've written? And so well, the name is going to be the attraction, so what's the attraction? And so you've written a piece of music, and that becomes like Märchenreise, which is like a, a magical journey. And what is that? So it's like it becomes a boulevard in a theme park, and a boulevard in a theme park has to link one part to another. So what are those parts, and what are the lands? And I've got a son who's obsessed with dinosaurs. There has to be a dinosaur kingdom. And, you know, so there's got to be a future land, and there's got to be something kind of piratey and kind of fairies and in, in Sussex where I live, the, the, the way that the way that people used to refer to fairies where they were called them Pharisees rather than fairies and a kind of corruption of the Bible. So the fairies became Pharisees in the theme park and there's like a Pharisee land. So it all kind of flows inevitably from there and ended up with an album that I really liked. I was really, really pleased with it. As a business proposition, I thought it would probably do what has happened to all music over the last um five or six years which is that the amount of time you get when you release an album has just shrunk so when we released our first album we were kind of like yeah we're going to be dining out on this record for six months people are going to be like it's going to come it's going to happen slowly but now there's this kind of vortex of an album release which is built up on this huge pile of stuff but then it comes out you spend months working on it and it's like that day you release it and you get people who are interested for that day and you get retweets for that day and people listen and people go, Hey, I love your album. And it's the day. And then the day after that, it's gone. And it's like this, it's just, it evaporates, goes off into the ether. Maybe if you're really lucky, you know, somebody down the line, someone will say, Oh, I listened to the album loads back in, back in time, but probably not. Probably people listen to it once go, I've decided what I think about that and I've moved on. And that's how it is. And I kind of, I'd made my peace with that. I thought this is a very niche, weird project. It's not going. I'm not going to be able to sell it wide scale to the fans of the Indelicates. It's, it's a me project that I'm doing to a few people who will, who will get it. So I made 50 CDs, sold them in advance because I didn't have any money to stake to make the CD. So I was so I'll buy them in advance and then I'll order them and I'll send them when you order them. Made them. They look nice. They went out and probably made 400 pounds ish profit. And then was like I was very happy with that. Um, right that my son had put some um had helped doing some archaeopteryx noises so i sort of bought him a present with some of the money like there's your payment for that and you know and then i I was ready to move on um because really that's kind of what doing slightly weird niche music is now um and that's how much my copyright was worth so i'd I'd kind of at that point i was basically done with it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well so then talk a little bit about the unexpected transition of arcadia park into a new medium so you just had this wonderfully successful nft drop of arcadia park uh perpetual admissions tickets you know how did you get interested in this as as a possibility and how did you think about transitioning the arcadia park album project into an arcadia park nft project Okay, so um, obviously I'm, I'm in between um, looking after children, which admittedly my wife has ended up doing more than Julia has been doing more of that than me um, this year for various reasons because I've ended up doing things on the computer a lot more. Um, but, but in between dealing with children and things, I, I keep up with what's going on. And I was watching the NFT thing happen, mainly through the lens of everyone I know hating it and <laughs> being very angry. Um but I was watching it, and, so, and like about a year, so a year ago, kind of January twenty twenty one, I was watching it, and I was thinking, oh, "This is really interesting." I could, there's like, I feel like there are things I could 
do here. Uh, I didn't really have any ETH online, and so I kind of signed up for. I signed in. I got an OpenSea account maybe February March last year, and I bought like twenty pounds worth of Ether, um, and I kind of set up a few things. I was like to do with the pylon stuff. I kind of up- uploaded things and sort of started the process of making NFTs, and then I got to the OpenSea um, paywall where they ask you to validate your ability to make transactions, and it was like more than I had put in the wallet. And I was just like, I can't really afford it. I can't risk it. Um, so I just sort of forgot it. And Ethereum you know, Ether was a lot cheaper then. It was kind of, it's kind of tripled that, that that 20 pounds in my wallet has gone up a lot since like 60 pounds now, but, or maybe back down to 45 or something in the last few weeks. But, you know, it's, it's like, it's gone up and like, I've noticed that happening. So all year in, while I was doing this music, I was occasionally, I would check um, Zerion and, and see what the price of that £20 was and go, oh, that's interesting. Still not really worth taking it out or doing anything with it. It's interesting that it keeps going up. And I'd see all the stuff and I saw what happened with, um, with Christie's. And, and occasionally I would see uh, Brian, who I didn't really know particularly well, but you know, I'd known of Brian for years. And occasionally I would see something that Brian would post on Facebook and I'd go, that's mad, isn't it? And then I'd move on. Um, and I, I spoke to you about it. And I just thought because well, I thought I knew that you had an interest in it and that things are that really interesting things are happening. And I looked into some of what you've done a little bit. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll ask you what this is about, and you can explain it to me, as I'm sure you know it happens a lot of people do that. Um, and you did, and that was very handy. And, and so straight away, I thought, well, okay, I've got this album I've done, and it kind of has this lore and idea around it already. So that's probably the kind of that's the kind of thing that would work. Um, I came up with a bunch of ideas immediately because that's the kind of the kind of thing I do. Stupid ideas. So it's like things could be NFTs. Hmm, I wonder if I could sell a ghost that's haunting my house. It's like, and I'm, that's not a bad idea. But I, lots of things like that immediately came up. But I did something. Well, I actually, already have this album, and it is a lot of stuff that's gone into it already. So let's think what we could do with that. And what's funnier than an imaginary theme park is actually selling tickets to an imaginary theme park. That is funnier. That's a better joke. Um, than than just I mean because already it's a joke you know there's, there's, a, there's a soundtrack album to a theme but it doesn't exist it's a it's a gag right but like it's a better gag to sell tickets to it so that was very clear immediately um, so I thought well I can do that so I can make uh, well make initially I thought like e tickets which I think we're still going to do but like rather than lifetime passes it was going to be like e tickets like Disneyland used to when they first opened you didn't pay one fee and get to go on everything you had to buy like a book of these tickets that had graded letters so like um the carousel might be an A ticket and Pirates of the Caribbean would be an E ticket. So an E ticket was like the best kind of attraction. So I, thought. So I made some of those and I think we are still going to do those. But then I thought, actually, no, it's lifetime passes. And I thought, well, we just, I'll just upload them to OpenSea as like pictures and people will just buy the pictures. Um, and at the time I was like, I still couldn't get past this OpenSea fee. So I was, said that to you. I was like, I just don't think I can cover it. And you were like, well, we'll put it on just you. I think you offered to put it on your account. And I was like, well, okay, we can do that. Yeah, fine, we'll do that. Um, and then you introduced me to some people, interesting people, um, who I didn't know anything about at the time, but who, want, having met them, I immediately looked into what they were doing and was kind of like, this is cool, right? <laughs> I mean, because I'd looked into what you were doing, and what you are doing is, is, is like, really cool. And I've, and at the, t- the same time, I've got the other, I've got my normie Twitter, not my alt, going with people, just const- this constant stream of like, this is stupid, this isn't art. And... Um, and then I go, well, I kind of think what Brian's doing is art. <laughs> like, it's really good. Like, it's kind of um, it's some of the best art I've seen lately. And then I saw what the people I was being introduced to, who shall remain um, unaddressed, I saw what they were doing. And like, I was thinking, I mean, this is this is 
great and I love this. And then I listened to some of the people on your podcast, like Deaf Beef. And I, I explained what Deaf Beef was doing with one of his collections to Julia. And we were like, oh, that's really cool, isn't it? I mean, that's really good art. That's not, we can't get around, there's no getting around it. And then you start to think, well, do I want to be on the side of people who um, are sitting there saying that they don't think things are art? Because in the 90s, we used to laugh at those people and I don't necessarily want to be on that side. So that was, so I was kind of coming to terms with it in that way at the same time. Um, but talking to to people, to interesting people, who saying, said to me, well, you don't want to release on OpenSea. What you want is you want a custom contract and a website. You need to do that yourself. So I was like, well, I don't know how to do that because I can play the bass guitar, right? And and the real guitar. I can play all the kinds of guitar, um, piano a bit, can sing in tune, but I don't really know how to do solidity. <laughs> um and I can't really afford to pay someone who does know how to do solidity. So I was, again, it was another like, there is a cliff here and I don't know how to get over it. Then I was pointed at a website 721.so, which is um, Devin Abbott's uh, website where he has produced a tool um, that allows you to configure a solidity smart contract by just selecting tech check boxes options so you can say you know um and so i was like oh okay well i can understand this and it's still it's forbidding and i am scared of it but like i can do this so i looked at that um and then it was like you need to have metadata so i was like okay <laughs> i don't know how to do that so i was like all right so we found out how to find out found out what json is <laughs> and like and then we, then so you managed to work out how to do the metadata and then i need to store the metadata but it's not really cool to do metadata on like centralized file systems so we're not uploading that to the indelicates.com server so we have to look at ipfs and find out what that is so i found out what that is and then my metadata was then hosted on ipfs and uh and pinned on a node and all these things that I'd not known about a week before. And that was then working. So that was great. Um, and then the contract was working and then I, I needed to test the contract. So then I had to find out about Rinkby and test ETH, which is great. Cause it's like considering it's something that people consider fake money to have fake, fake money is even more cool. Um, so I, and then I had to get, go to a faucet. So I had to go to a, you have to go to a Rinkby faucets to get people to give you fake, fake, fake money. Um, yeah, and so we did all that. I did all that. Um, and, and, some, and then finally, I had a kind of contract that I was able to deploy and that was working um, on the test net. And then it showed up on like test OpenSea after it was deployed and all that was working. So I was like, actually, somehow I've managed to get this working and I own this contract. And then you suddenly go, all right. So all that stuff I was saying about being your own platform in like 2012, and now I'm my own platform. And that's really very cool indeed. And I, yeah, so that's great. So it kind of just came together like that. Um, to the point where, and all, the, and at the same time as we were doing that, I was kind of like, well, it's not going to be. You can't just release an album. And I, I and immediately, I was like, the, the thing to do with music is you don't want to just go and say, my song is an NFT now. Buy my NFT of my song, because it's, I mean, it's just not. It's no imagination or creativity in that. It's not. The, you shouldn't be just. It's the wrong attitude because the attitude there is always, well, I've done art and I need to be rewarded for my art. I don't have to do anything else. And I've always hated that. I hated that when it was CDs and I hated that when it was people complaining about piracy or, and I, I still hate it. So it was like, no, you, the NFT has to be part of it. The, 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 the NFT has to be something significant that adds real creativity. Otherwise it's not, it's just, it's just whining in t- digital form. You need to do something. So we have this part, let's build this out. Let's talk about the law. Let's start Twitter. And then, um, having spent and, and the person's unknown suggested, 
that it initially suggested that it needed its own Twitter, and we were talking about where well, we need characters, and so we we're talking, and then and then so and just running the Twitter, things just kind of naturally. I should I should probably let you ask another question. I've been, I'm going round in circles now, but basically, yes, we kind of put this all together, and then suddenly we're suddenly having climbed this very steep learning curve, and it is a steep learning curve. We were in a position where we could actually. Uh, Mint. And all along through this whole process, I was just thinking, I'm doing this mainly as a learning exercise because I don't expect anything to come of it. And then we released the passes and they sold out in 17 minutes. And that was two days ago. And I am surprised, <laughs> and but impressed because it's because it's really good. I think there's something really good about it. But we'll, we'll get into that more, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm interested in kind of two things. I mean, first off, based on your experience of the sort of learning curve of kind of just onboarding into cryptocurrency, let alone sort of getting yourself to the position where you understand how the NFT market works. And then sort of the big next step of sort of creating your own NFT platform. Like, do you see room for sort of people to facilitate that like what would you like to see the tools look like and what would have made it easier because it seems like you know you're kind of downplaying your own experience but i think a lot of people would have quit long before they got to the place where where you did okay so this is the this is this is a huge question for me right um and i've been thinking about it i've been thinking about it now pretty much solidly for for two days um because ultimately in terms of the, the long form project of my life, I've always wanted to go around copyright, right? I, I, I don't like copyright as an idea because I think it's, I think, I think if you're an artist, what you want, if you're a musician, especially what you want is two things. The main two things you want are you want everyone to hear your music, be excited about it, share it and talk about it. And you want to have enough money to live on, right? You want those two things. Probably the first of those is the main thing you want. Otherwise you would choose literally anything else, right? Um, and copyright is absolutely, it, it, it creates this ridiculous paradox where in order for copyright to supply need two, it has to massively disincentivize need, need one. So as a, as a, someone who writes music, you're becoming a guardian of your copyright, which means you, you spend your time going around trying to stop people listening to your music and go, stop sharing it, stop being excited about it. Just, just pay me a small amount and stop enjoying the music. Stop, no, no, stop it. Money, need the money, which I, I, I loathe it. And, and it also means that, you know, in order to exploit your copyright to an extent that you actually can fulfill need to and live on it, you need to make deals with people who I don't necessarily want to be associated with. And you can't, it's not, and it's never a business deal. It's never like, I have this, would you like to make money together? Yes, let's do that. It's always like begging. You have to go cap in hand and, debase yourself as an artist simply as a consequence of the way that the copyright industry has developed over time and i i loathe it and i've always loathed it um i I didn't handle it well when we were signed to a company and everything we've done since has kind of been trying to get away from it um and so what i what i think has been proved what's been demonstrated because i have done it now is there is a way of equaling and surpassing the amount of financial recompense for releasing a record by completely ignoring copyright. And that was why it was important that when we did the NFT sale, we said right from the off, if we sell them all, 
copyright, we are renouncing it. It is going to be Creative Commons Zero. It's going to be public domain. We are no longer have an interest in it. And we've done that. That album is now freely available. Anyone can do anything with it. You can use it on your videos. Nothing will happen. You can you can use it in a film. You can do all the kind of stuff that, you know. And it has been demonstrated conclusively that on at least one occasion, and it's getting very much, you know, that joke about the mathematician and the philosopher on a train and like, there's like a philosopher and a mathematician and, a, and someone else on a train and the philosopher looks out the window and goes, ah, all cows in Scotland are brown. And then the the, the medium one, who's not the philosopher or mathematician, but somewhere between the two says, ah, <laughs> I think you'll find that some cows in Scotland are brown. And then the mathematician goes, there exists in Scotland one cow, at least one side of which <laughs> um, is brown. So like, it's, it's that level of proof. Um, but... It has been demonstrated by me this week that it's possible to get as much money going around copyright, completely ignoring it, using the NFT ecosystem to make that much money and without relying on copyright and by being your own platform. My question and the huge question is, is it replicable and can it be applied to other people? And can I honestly say to people I know who have not done this, this is what you should do and it will work? And I genuinely don't know. Because I think there's novelty involved. It's it's it's. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it will ever be enough to just go. Like I say, to just go. This is my song. It is an NFT now. Please buy my NFT of my song. I don't think that will ever be enough. It will always take more than that. You have to. There has to be more value in it than that. Um, maybe not. Maybe if I just done that, it would have gone well. But I, I I didn't do that, and I felt very much that there was resistance to that, and I didn't want to do that. Um, so I don't know, but. Something like 721SO has been extremely helpful. It was still quite forbidding in terms of like, you, you, you're always scared, that, you know, it's going to go wrong or that something's going to happen. So something like that is, would, be, would be good that was even simpler, um, but that isn't OpenSea and that isn't a platform that just is, um, that isn't a middleman. It has to, the, the decentralization is the key because it just ossifies too fast. And you've seen it happen with everything. You've seen it happen with podcasting has kind of went from like this wild west of really creative stuff to like now these sort of high end channels with like these studios and employment tribunals and, and all that stuff that you just, it just, it just kills it stone dead. And I think you've seen that in podcasting over the last few years. I mean, not all podcasts, but like in terms of the major podcasts, they've been completely ruined by the way that by centralization and authority and professionalism. And so something that allows you to be very professional, to not be professional and still um, get something working is, is the key, I think. And, and I think that tool is yet to be built, probably. Um, and I wouldn't know exactly where to point someone who was going to look at Solidity and be more scared than me, because I was quite scared. And I'm not the kind of person who would be scared of that, but I was a bit scared. Um, so that that needs to happen. Um, and I, I mean, I have I have I have some thoughts about ways that this could be done, but I, I yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 this is the big question. It's the question I, I, I don't feel I can honestly, it's hard to be a total evangelist about it because I don't know how I would say, I don't know how I would apply it to people I know who are good musicians and whose work should be rewarded, but who couldn't probably do what I've done in the last month. So yeah, I think that's my answer there. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of actually putting the project together and building a community around the project what, what did you do in the run-up to the release to get people interested or excited about the fact you're doing this in the first place help them understand what it was you were doing and sort of develop 
a community of people who are interested in your work as an NFT artist, as opposed to people who already knew of you and admired your work as a musician? Because I feel like those are two pretty different groups of people. Well, okay. So two, two, um, prefaces to that aren't to the answer then first of all um i i forgot what they are <laughs> what would the two prefaces be so the first one is that, that that there is almost no overlap um and this isn't something i'm new to i mean i made uh we i believe it was the first in the world but that doesn't mean much because there weren't any others since because it wasn't that good an idea but i we, we made a, a virtual reality single um in 2015 so we had an album that was kind of a space thing and i made a i learned enough unity um and stuff to make a kind of vr listening experience um and then i kind of that didn't and that was kind of in the very early days of BRs. and then when the rift came out um i made a kind of poltergeist room so like one of the the, the, the most recent indelicates albums got lots of poltergeist stuff in it and so i thought well we could put you could be sat on a chair and then poltergeist activity happens around you while you're watching um the pop video on a television in VR. So I made that and that was on the Oculus store. So I get, I do get um, checks occasionally from Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> they said I was in, the, I was in their, um, oh, they had like a VR innovators program when they started. So I've got like a, a hoodie that Mark Zuckerberg sent me with Oculus written on it and a, and a, a brandy glass for drinking brandy. If, if my app is successful, because apparently that's the sort of thing they thought I would like. Um, <laughs> Which is, you know, I was like, oh, okay, this is for someone. Someone would love this, probably not me. But I love the hoodie. The hoodie's good. Um, yeah, so I, I did that, and knowing I did that, knowing that the number of people who liked my band and and the people who owned a VR headset were, was a, a Venn diagram of two entirely separated circles with no overlap whatsoever. And I think this has been very similar in that I, I think maybe one or two people who I knew before from the band are interested in this. But as I say, the majority of them, I think, would probably, if you ask them, say that they loathe everything to do with the NFT um, thing and would not be pleased with me or um, or interested if I tried to sell them on this. So it was, I think it was never a case of going to them. Um, and... You know, I kind of thought I kind of justify it on the basis that it's kind of it's for their benefit because, like, the ones of those who didn't buy the CD are now going to have the album for free without any kind, and that's been paid for by the NFT community. With, with their the the, benef- the beneficence of the NFT community has facilitated me to make more music for the people who were into the band. So that's, that's I think in terms of incentives and economics, it works has worked out quite well for everybody. Um, but that, but I am I am I, I do, there is a, a what's the, whatever the NFT equivalent of being horny is. I try not to be that on main. Um, so. <laughs> So that's been that's that's preface one and uh, actually remind me remind me of the question. It was, well, so building the new community, right? I mean, you had to find yeah. So what, what did what did I actually do? Yeah, the other thing I'd like to say before I before I answer that question is um, this is an ongoing project and and as it's gone, I'm, it, it is by no means over in any sense, and we are it's probably going to get quite a lot bigger, and we're doing all kinds of things, and a significant part of doing that is that I am operating entirely in character. So if you are invested particularly in the arcadia park project i don't listen to my don't listen to how the sausage was made because it will i don't it's it's kind of a spoiler isn't it i mean it's like you know I'd, i'm not going to say anything that we're planning or, or what's or what i know is going to happen but um yeah i mean like so okay so, so bear in mind don't listen to this if if you're very invested in the, the imaginary the act of imagining in arcadia park and which is it's kind of it's kind of chaos magic it's a, a drawing 
a creation of something by force of will. But but I will tell you what I was actually doing, and let's. But don't listen if that's a spoiler. So uh, we set up the Twitter account. Um, Arcadia Park news. Arcadia Park was taken. Um, I, th- I think there are several Arcadia Parks. Maybe there's, there's a hot horse washing resort somewhere in Australia that was really funny because now we have hot horse washing in our one as well. Just um, <laughs> I love that was one of the best things that happened. Um, someone just someone just came on and was like, "Oh, what are you the Arcadia Park that does hot horse washing in Australia?" And I was like. No, but but we do do hot horse washing, and, and it's the best damn hot horse wash you're going to get this side of the Mason Dixon line, sugar. Um, then it's like, seven, yeah. what the fuck is that? Hot horse washing? I have no idea. I would imagine it's better than cold horse washing. But do you have a dirty horse? Do you need it washed? Is it cold? Come to the hot horse washing service. That's how it works. I don't know, but that, but that's but that's kind of how it's been. So I've been so we've got Arcadia Park News as the Twitter account. There are several other Twitter accounts. Some some kind of maybe run by me a little bit. Others not at all. There are people who've contributed entirely independently who I don't know who they are. Um, and we will just tweet the daily operations of this theme park. And you, I look at real theme park twitter accounts and they're saying oh this parade is happening at this time or bad weather has cancelled this so we do that but then as it goes on because i'm, I'm an anarchist at heart like you start to think well let's just make this a little bit more interested in that so i was like i think one day i just sat there and was going what should i what should i tweet there's nothing in the tunnels that'll do just tweet it. there's nothing in the tunnels and now after a month later there is a significant quantity of law about what may or not may or not be in tunnels to the point that i now have a very very good idea of what is in the tunnels which i am not going to tell you um, but i know what's in the tunnels now um, but that's become a big thing and and i so and this is this is really getting into sausage making territory so really if, if this is going to ruin magic don't listen but um i thought we needed a founder that seemed very important because like the the figure of Walt Disney looms large over the Disney world empire and they have the statues and things. And there was always this rumor about Walt Disney maybe being into cryogenics and maybe Walt Disney's corpse is somewhere in Disneyland waiting to be reawoken. And I kind of thought, I've lo- I love that. So, I mean, that's great. So I kind of thought, well, what would the founder's name be? And I thought, well, he'd probably be... And I came through and I ended up with like Oscar F. Becker, which seemed right. So he's probably of German heritage. Um, almost certainly would be of German heritage. So he's, he's a German, he's in America, and he's, he's kind of would have founded it in the 60s. Um, and I was like, well, I need a picture of Oscar Becker. But there is these, there are these, um, this person does not exist.coms now. So there you can get AI generated people. So I have a, so I was able to source a picture of Oscar Becker. And then there are all kinds of very cool tools that enable you to do all kinds of things. So now Oscar Becker is someone who I can puppet and speak, and he can now. I can do his voice and he can talk and make videos and talk to people. Um, and he kind of talks, he's got a very, a kind of patrician voice, a bit like this. And when he does it, you, 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 but it's sort of, it's, yeah, I'm kind of, I prefer speaking like him than me, to be honest. Um, so we kind of have him and he's, he's, he's working. And then, and so, and then we just like, I started making pictures of like things he'd done. I, I think one of my favorites was we just did a picture of like Oscar Becker with like a quote from him. And I don't think anyone really noticed, but he's actually meeting Nixon in the picture. So it's just, I just, and then Nixon's, I'm, it's like half of Nixon's face is cut off. You wouldn't notice, but if you actually say who the guy he's standing with, it's like it's Nixon. Um, Cause I think he'd be in with Nixon. You know, I just think that's something that he'd be in with. And so that kind of, and it's just kind of, it's kind of been like that. You're just like, you'll think of things. And then because it's, because it's been a community. So that's the Twitter. And then we 
Stoke started a Discord again. We revised that Discord was really the place where this is done. And I wasn't particularly familiar with Discord until uh, recently. Now I'm very familiar with it. Um, and uh, people joined the Discord and we were able to talk. And there's, we've got, and initially the, the Discord just had one channel, which was like, what is Arcadia Park? Because, you know, we weren't saying, and, and we're still not really saying, because we're still not entirely sure, but we know it's going to be something cool. Um, and I just wanted people to answer that. And then, so, so, and we kind of incentivized doing that with PoApps, um, which again, something I'd not heard of, but I looked into that interesting, cool protocol. Um, I think they've had real trouble with, uh, with people like farming them. So, and they're, so they're quite suspicious, I think. So like the first time we did, we got one approved and that was just, we were just going to give it to people who like interacted with us on Twitter. Um, and the, and the, and those were going to be like so there's if you don't if you don't if people don't know what a pop is it's like it's on the X die chain so it's on like a, it's not on a main net but they are they're NFTs on a kind of very cheap um, on a, on a cheap chain um, and you can kind of and the idea is that you you can receive a power up if you're if you to, as proof that you were in attendance at an event so and again this is all stuff I've learned since it was suggested to me that I look at them. Um, so, and I, which I think is quite a cool idea. Because like, people always talk about like the Manchester Free Trade Hall, nineteen seventy six, when there were like twelve people in the room watching the Sex Pistols, but somehow all of them formed bands and like things like that. You can't imagine if there was a pub up there, then all the people who claimed to have been there would be able to look on the blockchain and see if it was true or not. I mean, that's a quite kind of an interesting. Um, so I thought that was a whole interesting thing, and so I was quite cool. So we did some of those on the Twitter, and then. Um, and the idea was that we'd give them away people who joined. And I didn't want to specify why, but the, the, the criteria were you have to interact meaningfully with the question, what is Arcadia Park in the Discord? It wasn't enough to just um, to just join. It had to be a meaningful interaction. Um, but it was quite hard to get those approved from POAP because I think at the same time we were doing this, they were having this major crisis of like people farming POAPs. And they would, people just, there's all these accounts that all they do is try and game the system to get as many POAPs as they can. And that's not what they want from their protocol so it, you did ha- i did have to do quite a lot of explaining myself going like no it's this is we're going to be really careful with who we, who's only going to be giving them to certain people and um so that was and that, i think they're, they're changing the way that they do all that at the moment and, and i'm sure that it's going to be a lot uh, more uh, like uh transparent in future because it was quite opaque trying to get in touch with them. um yes yeah, so we did that so we got people into discord with pups and then just um when we were talking just just as these ideas came up you know we'd post something and then people would just engage with the ideas and then you develop more and more and people were playing along with it and there's this kind of role play element and and it's all on the understanding that you know we, we act as if this park is real and we're all we're all guests of it and and people, people really responded to it because i think there's something intrinsically this sort of david slightly david lynchy slightly weird sinister law happening underneath this kind of hauntological theme park that, that was founded in the sixties and has a rich history and but but is imaginary and and I think you know there are there are answers to what it means for it to be imaginary that haven't been shared um and but the, the we're kind of everyone's kind of inching towards um slowly so yeah it just it just has kind of worked like that it's kind of become organic and not just me coming up with stuff it's become its own thing and and, and, and like I say I'm I'm very surprised that they sold so quickly but if, if but I think the reason they did is because the people did. It, it because it's become conceptual art and the conceptual art is not just it's not just an album anymore it hasn't been for a while and that's been a really interesting thing to watch it kind of transform so one thing that's really interesting to me is that a lot of people outside and critical to the sort of nft market and nft phenomenon look at what's happening and 
among other things, they say, this is nothing new. You could have done this using a different tool or in some other way. And this isn't a new technology. This isn't a different technology. This is just a retread of stuff that's already existed. From your perspective as an artist whose work now in the space, what do you think about that kind of criticism or perspective? It's really interesting because I, I've seen that criticism and I've seen that criticism largely from people who I would trust on matters of tech. Um, so, um, yeah, it's people I follow on Twitter who I kind of know from the digital economy bill protests and stuff who have said that exact thing um, quite convincingly. And, and and to be honest, I don't know the answer. I don't know if it, I don't know if it was exactly possible with previous technology, I assume based on who is saying that, that it was and that there, that there was some form of digitally signing things that proved ownership at least as well. But the culture clearly didn't exist. Um, the culture that enabled a, 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 an actual market clearly only exists very recently. Um, so almost, I don't know if I, 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 does it, does it matter if the technology existed before I, I, is my question. I suppose it's like, I mean, I suppose it's, I suppose people. I guess people who who really understand that and believe that to be the case are personally annoyed by people saying this is brand new technology. If if there if they, if it is a replication of previous functions, right? I can see that that would be really annoying to you if you know how you would replicate that technology that technology using something else. Um, but the culture clearly didn't exist, and the market clearly didn't exist, and now it clearly does. So that's the important thing, surely. I mean, I, I don't, so I kind of struggle to see the, I struggle to see, it's like, it's like how many times you say over and over again, this shouldn't exist, but it, it does. And I think I'm echoing you there quite a lot, but like, I think that's, that's kind of your argument. It's like you are observing the fact that it exists and it, it does exist. So whether it should or shouldn't is almost by the by at that point until you get to the point of, is it harmful? Um, and I suppose you then inevitably end up at the environmental thing, which is the one thing I don't really feel like I've got a great answer for. Though I do, as I've seen you say elsewhere, think that quite often it's an excuse used by people who are cross about something else um, and isn't as bad as is made out. But it's you know it's a difficult challenge. It's, it's the one big objection, and um, I don't know what I think about that particularly either. But at the same time, it does seem very much like crypto is going to continue it is continuing and if if there is a siphon in the side of that um, tub of nightmare fuel that allows some of that to drip away to artists and people that i, I do care about and do want to do well and do think add value to society by making art then i i, I kind of feel like i have to be in favor of that um and, and i hope it gets bigger and i hope more artists can benefit from it because that's one of the things that I want from society is I want artists to benefit and I don't want them to have to beg governments or companies and middlemen in order to carry on doing their art and staying alive. I mean, it's all it's, to me, it's, for me, it's very personal. It's all about that. I don't think I don't want to be begging and I don't, I don't think state funding of the art functions well. And I think it, it has poor taste and I would prefer a market solution, but at the same time, the market solution that exists in the mainstream is awful and, is an absolute insult to everything that's going. So something else is needed. And it, I don't know if this is long-term, that's something else, but something else is needed. And if it's a possibility, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn against it. You know, I'm, I'm 
so it's a diff- it is difficult because I, like I say, um, there is this Venn diagram and the other circle of the Venn diagram is not happy about all this. Um, and it's people I like and respect. And it's, so it's, it's a tricky one. So Simon, in, in closing, I mean, if you were to kind of give advice or make suggestions to a sort of abstract person who is kind of in your position of someone who's an artist, who's been producing work or is interested in doing a bunch of different projects, sees this phenomenon happening and is sort of wondering where to look to better understand it, how to make sense of how it could be a potential uh, outlet for their creative work and how to think about framing what they do for this new and different market like what would you tell them like what what would you say to people who want to get started and want to understand but don't know where to start okay so there's probably three parts to that uh, probably philosophically the answer i would always give to any question like that is like if you've got a choice right if you feel like you have any choice at all about whether you should be doing anything creative if you feel like um like if you feel like you could do something else and be just as happy, just don't do it. I mean, like it's, there's enough of it and it's like, it's not necessary. It's fine. If you don't, there's nothing disrespectful about creating nothing. I don't, I've never felt like I had a choice apart, you know, apart from my choice has been facilitated by privilege, but like I would be bereft without it. And like, if you wouldn't be bereft without it, I don't know why you're bothering. So that's always the first thing. And that's kind of the, 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 the axiomatic statement of any advice you give to aspiring artists like it's almost like if you're asking this question <laughs> just just if you have to you will and and that so just carry on practically um i would go to devon abbott's website 721.so i would get some test ETH on rinkby install metamask go to a faucet get you you can get 0.1 a day probably um get some test ETH and start fiddling around and deploying contracts and making it work because it's not that complicated but it looks really terrifying but you can do it you can test it for free and so you can find out if it's something that will terrify you if you understand it try and understand it a little bit better that to me seems that's probably the the one thing that's kind of like made me clear the hurdle of like going this is possible because if if you can you can feel some command of the medium you can't you can't work in medium if you've got no ability to work in that medium the medium here is not just the music the medium is the nft space and so you need to understand it so i would do that um and you will then i think fairly quickly find out whether or not this is something that you can remotely do if you if if, if it's a complete mystery to you there is still um looks rare and open sea and rareable and there's still those places and absolutely go to those but i think don't you i don't think you can i I don't know. I'm not by no means an expert. I, I know what I did, but it feels to me like you can't rock up to OpenSea, upload something that you did that you like, and just wait. Right? I, it feels like you know. It, it feels like that feels like a crapshoot. It's like you're taking a a random punt, and I, I don't think there's any guarantees. And it, it seems very unlikely that that will result in anything. So, but understanding it, understanding what you're actually doing, will let you get a basic hold on it. And from that point, I just think, I mean, I have no idea what you should do, because if I did, then I, I would do it, <laughs> you know, I like, and I, but whatever it is, don't just think I can make an NFT of my song and sell it, 
because someone will do that. Like Grimes can do that, right? And and someone else who no one's heard of will do that and be successful. But like, that's not putting. It will be luck ultimately. The ultimate thing that makes that makes the difference will be luck. I've been extremely lucky in that I know you, and you've introduced me to people who who've, who've also have been very lucky that you've introduced me to people who've been extremely helpful. Um, it will be luck, but in order, but the best chance you have is to put yourself in a position where luck can find you um which is hateful boomer advice right i I kind of hate saying it because it's but it probably is the only sensible thing that you can do and to do that you need to look at what you've done and go well what can i do with this that will be interesting what will make this not just the obvious um and whatever that is, do it. I mean, I know someone I, someone, I mean, my, Julia knows him better, but neither of us seen him for a long time. But Akira the Don, um, who we used to, I've gigged with, you know, back in 2005, he's doing very well with NFT stuff. Um, and the things he's doing are kind of, you know, they're, they're short videos. They're not, and they're kind of like with messages. And it's like, it's not just, here's an album by Akira the Don that you can, it's, it's something distinct and different. And he's got this whole kind of genre that he's invented, basically, Meaning Wave, which is like, he's got his hashtag and that's the thing that he's doing. So like what he's done there is similar to what I've done. It's like, I've looked at the thing that I'm trying to sell, but, and then, so, but so, so it's that. So it's like looking, I've got an album, or I've got a song, or I've got something I want to sell and I want to do something with it. Then that's step one, but step two is seeing the thing that you do with it as not just marketing, because it's not marketing, it is the art. The art is the, the, the things that you do, the law that you create, the whatever. I mean, again, again, I don't know what the thing is because you have to think of it if you're the person trying to do it. It's your, your thing, but the thing you think of has to be the art itself. It's, it's, it's not enough for it to just be music. And that feels unfair because it's like saying to musicians, just what you do isn't enough, but it isn't enough because there are millions of you. Uh, and there are millions of us. There are so many people who can do music as well as me, who can do music better than me. And you just in a market that's a market where you don't have the right. And it's and it sort of feels like a harsh thing to say because you sort of, it's like you're using the free market to bash people. But when there wasn't a free market, you were even fewer people got to do it. Far fewer people got to do it. I always think of like stand up comedy now. People complain that you can't make a living as a stand up comedian because there's too many stand up comedians in England. And there are, I would agree, too many stand up comedians in England. But when everyone was making a living, there were like a hundred stand up comedians and they all went to the Edinburgh Festival and every single one of them got to, got a television show within the next five years and they all got to come back. And because there were only a hundred of them and now there are thousands of them and that's why you can't get a TV show anymore. And it's the same with music. There are millions of you and there are millions of you doing things which your thing may be really great, but most people want a rhythmic beat to place in the back of a dinner party. And that is the need you're supplying and it isn't necessarily better. So you need to see the thing that around that as part of the creation and you need to love that and passionately love that as much as you love making the music. Otherwise I think, otherwise I think it's still just going to be luck, but there's going to be more luck available. The pool of luck that you can dip into is larger. So I would do that. Um, and, you know, and tell me about it because I, I want to know if people are doing cool stuff because I, I love cool stuff. And, and for too long, people have been begging 
radio stations and begging DJs. And every time a DJ plays you on their terrible radio station at four in the morning, four a.m. in the morning, you have to send them thanks. You go, oh, thank you so much, DJ, for playing. That's their job. They're supposed to find good music and play. You shouldn't be grateful. You should be going. You should respectfully acknowledge that they have done the thing that they were supposed to do, which is find your music and play it. And that's just gone from this whole scene. So stop doing that. Stop begging. Be your own platform. And let's have some of this creative world back, however we do it. And if NFTs are the way, then that way, whatever you do, just do something about it because this debasement must end. <laughs> Simon, I, I love it. <laughs> thanks thanks again for coming back on the show and talking about this project. And Well, it turns out coming on your show is quite lucrative. <laughs> so I'm going to, anytime you like. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do it again soon. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you.